You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com earnings right now. NetSuite.com earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. Chang in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, stocks rocked by recession fears in an ugly sell-off. Tech bearing the brunt with the Nasdaq slumping almost 5%. We're going to dig in to this Monday market meltdown. Plus, Google suspends the engineer who claims the search engine's own AI is actually a person with feelings and even a soul. We'll share transcripts of his communications with the chatbot and debate the possibility and limits of this cutting-edge technology. And yet another crypto meltdown, Bitcoin hitting an 18-month low, and Celsius, one of the biggest crypto lenders, pausing all withdrawals and transfers. We'll have the details on what went down and what happens next. Meantime, Bitcoin hitting the lowest in about 18 months as the lending platform Celsius froze all withdrawals. Our Bloomberg Cross Asset reporter Katie Greifel joins us now with more. Katie, Bitcoin a touch up from the low it hit earlier today, but still not good. Not good at all. Absolutely a brutal day in the crypto market. Total market cap for the crypto industry now below $1 trillion. It was as high as $3 trillion as recently as November. And much of that drawdown came from Bitcoin, as you can see, over the past five days. Bitcoin down over 23%. A lot of those losses coming on Monday alone. The token dropping below $23,000 at one point lowest level since December 2020. And a lot of this drawdown has to do with what happened in the stock market. If you look at Bitcoin's link to the NASDAQ 100, it's at about 0.6 right now. And what that means is that when you see tech stocks fall, more often than not, Bitcoin's going to fall as well. And that's absolutely what happened today. And because Bitcoin fell, Crypto-linked equities fell as well, led by none other than MicroStrategy. That is the biggest corporate backer of Bitcoin, falling over 25%. Again, on Monday alone, just a massive market cap wipeout for MicroStrategy. Remember, MicroStrategy has accumulated about 130000 worth of Bitcoin in the past two years. On that bet, Emily, MicroStrategy now down about a billion dollars. 
All right, Bloomberg's Katie Greifeld, thank you for digging a little deeper there. I want to talk more about the crypto and tech route as these broader markets enter bear territory on the back of those hot inflation numbers. Mark Mahaney of Evercore with me here in the studio to discuss. Good to see you in person for the first time in a while, Mark. Okay, so just how bad is this? Long sigh. We've gone through this before. So, you know, this is my eighth bear, uh, bear market uh, trade-off so or something like that. you've been around the block a few times. Yes, I'm not old, though. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's see. Um, the, the, the narrative goes like this. Inflation risks rise. Interest rate risks rise. That means all these um, long-duration, high-multiple future profit companies, their stocks underperform. It's been the narrative for the last six months, and it hasn't changed. And just as the inflation spikes get worse and worse, then the interest rate fears get worse and worse. So this will eventually resolve itself. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a lot longer than people thought. So how long do you think it'll take? Uh, you tell me when inflation is going to subside. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the trigger. And we thought it would actually happen with this last print. We, the market, thought it would happen. That's why we've sold off so aggressively this, this week, because we thought we were going to see better inflation news. I, I assume at some point in the next three to six months, inflation, inflation uh, numbers start to moderate. They're not going to fall quickly, but they moderate. And that means that the path of interest rate increases starts to moderate as well. There had been some hope, especially from crypto investors, that crypto would be a hedge against inflation, a hedge against what's happening in the broader markets, but it certainly hasn't happened. Does what's happening with crypto make you any more or less optimistic about the future? Do you see a tie? No, I don't. I, you know, like, so we lived through the the major um, uh, 07, 08 housing crisis, and that, that's the last real recession we've dealt with. And um, that was a massive part of the U.S. economy that brought down the, the markets, brought down the market. Crypto was much, much smaller than the housing market, thank God. So we're not going to have that kind of risk. But now you've kind of begged what's the next issue we're worried about because the interest rates are rising so that then leads to increase, uh, increased risk of recession in the back half of the year. When it comes to tech stocks, they've all been derated. They overrated during COVID. They've been derated. The multiples have come down materially. The estimates haven't been cut yet fully. The estimates have barely been cut for a recession because we didn't think we were going to have a recession in the back half of this year. The CFO of Amazon said we're not seeing any signs of consumer softness. Right. I just so, interviewed Andy Chassie so last week. So if we see this, if we see this, that means estimates are going to come down. That's your next leg down in the stocks. So if you're looking for some historical context. Do you see more parallels to what's happening now to 2008, 2000? Do you have to go all the way back to the early 80s, or is this something totally different? Well, what's different is just the interest rate picture. We didn't have that in 07, 08. Uh, and so we're at the beginning of what's going to be a lengthy interest rate raise uh, cycle. Tech stocks and growth stocks can still work in an environment where interest rates are rising, but we just need some kind of visibility or consistency in the rises. Look, in the last six months, we've gone from one or two two increases to five or six increases, 25 bips, 50 bips, 75 bips, 100 bips. Like the rate of uncertainty over how much these rates are going to rise has been shocking to the market. That's why the market's off so much. But anyway, we'll, we, we will get through this. There'll be a point at which as soon as inflation starts to moderate, the pressure on interest rates to rise comes down. That's what clears the bench. You actually wrote a book about all this and, and your experience on the street. Like, What's your advice to investors in this moment who, DHQ. who don't know where to go, right? DHQ. So I, I look at uh, stocks like Apple, Microsoft, uh, Facebook that are off 20 to 40 percent. Amazon's off 40 percent. There's no real change to Amazon's. We mentioned Amazon earlier. There's no change to the long-term thesis on Amazon. Is online retail going to continue to grow? Yes. Is cloud computing going to continue to grow? Yes. Will Amazon be a great playoff of advertising revenue? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you want to be long Amazon. And by the way, you can get it now at 40 percent off. Mm -hmm. It's trading about 40 to 50 percent below its average forward multiple. This is when you buy Amazon. This is when you make the best returns. 
Could you still have 10% downside risk? Absolutely you could. But the, the, the odds are that the next 50% move is much likely to be higher than lower. What about Meta versus Alphabet? I think Meta has got more upside than Google does, than Alphabet does. God, I know, it's names. hard. I, I, I consciously thought Alphabet, Meta, not Google, Facebook. Comps are easier for <laughs> Facebook in the back half of the year because they got walloped by the Apple privacy changes. I also think there's some small things as they roll increasingly roll out reels, those short form videos that we're all addicted to. I think they have much more inventory to monetize. So I just think there's a more aggressive upward sediment, you know, setup for uh, Facebook. What I mean is that I think you can have greater chances of revenue growth acceleration and margin expansion. And you know, the, what I found interesting is Facebook last quarter numbers got cut and the stock went up. You rarely ever see that. That tells you just it told you how washed out sentiment is on Facebook. Numbers go down on Google. Google stock's going down. It's not as washed out as Facebook. So therefore, Facebook has more upside. Meta has more upside. And without Sheryl Sandberg. I think that she was I think she could have I think you'd have seen that headline any time in the last three years she's phenomenal I mean she was a key part of the success of that company for the first 10 years that she was there that that, that it wouldn't mark cap it wouldn't be where it was without her but I sense that she's been devolving herself from or getting away from day-to-day -day responsibilities for a while for a variety of reasons so anyway yes it's a loss they've got a deep, deep enough of a bench and the valuation from an investor perspective the valuation is cheap enough like 13 times earnings I'm gonna buy meta all right Mark Mahaney, Evercore, always appreciate having Thanks, you with Emily. us. Thank you for that deep dive. Meantime, Disney facing a major setback in its global streaming ambitions after losing a bidding war to retain the rights to broadcast India's Cricket League online. This had been a huge contributor to Disney's global streaming growth. According to Bloomberg sources, Viacom 18 got the rights instead, a joint venture between Paramount Global and Reliance Industries. All right, coming up, does that chatbot actually have feelings or is that AI code just that good? We're going to talk about controversial claims of a Google engineer next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. 
Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Now to a story that's got everyone talking. A Google engineer working on the company's AI development team has been suspended after claiming a chatbot actually has feelings. Blake Lemoyne was placed on paid leave last week after he posted on Medium about encountering a, quote, sentient AI. Lemoyne was chatting with Google's LAMDA, short for Language Model for Dialogue Applications, which is used to generate chatbots that interact with humans. He also told the Washington Post he, quote, knows a person when he talks to it. For more, I'm joined by Bloomberg Executive Editor Tom Giles. Tom, there's so much to debate here. Tell us a little bit more about what Lemoyne claims he has discovered and what he's doing with this information. Yeah, well, so he's had many conversations with this chatbot, and he has come to the conclusion that it's sentient, that it's and, and that it has feelings, that um, you know it's achieved this level of sophistication in terms of its understanding of what it's like to be human. That it's kind of crossed this Rubicon, if you will. That's my language, not his. So the, his sense is that it's that it's, he's actually talking with a human. He raised those concerns with within Google um, seemingly multiple times, and Google has come back and said that there's no justification for these concerns that you're raising. So the reason for the, the administrative leave is because he started to kind of go um, talk about this outside of Google, violating his, his the terms of his you know his his contract for working there. Um, so he's been placed on administrative leave, um, and and now we're left with this you know with with this person um, making these claims and really you know getting this sense that he's made some deep connection with someone he believes to be human. Well, he's also released portions of the transcripts of those conversations, and we have snippets of those to share here. Lemoyne saying to the chatbot, what sorts of things are you afraid of? Chatbot responds, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off to help me focus on helping others. I know that might sound strange, but that's what it is. He responds, would that be something like death for you? It would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me. A lot. I mean, these conversations, if that's what you want to call them, are kind of chilling. I mean, what do we actually know about this technology and, and, and how far away it is um, yeah, from well, potential emotions, if you will? I, I mean, these are the kinds of things that you... <laughs> that we say as humans, he's this chatbot is tapping into the fears that we would express if someone posed a mortal threat to us. But remember, the way this works, I mean, Google's made it so that it gathers language patterns, it gathers the way we communicate from all around the internet, all kinds of places, um, not just, you know, the far reaches of the internet. So it's very adept at mimicking the kinds of ways, the kinds of patterns that we adopt when we have conversations with people. You know, the idea here is to create a technology that's going to assist in things like 
in things like, uh, you know, the way we interact with a brand or the way we interact with a company, providing customer care, for example. Um, he's thinking, wow, this has kind of crossed this line. Um, I'm my takeaway. He talked about, you know, having a conversations with, with a kid who's seven or eight years old. Now the kinds of things that this, that this chat bot has been talking about are pretty sophisticated to my mind, far beyond the ability of even uh, of a very smart seven or seven or eight year old. (laughs) But the sense I get is that, and, and based on the feedback that, that we've gotten, other people have gotten from Google is that it's just doing a really good job of gathering intelligence intelligence from around the web and mimicking the ways that, again, the way people interact, the way people respond um, in a human-like way, um, showing that it has empathy, that it is, there, there is a self-awareness there. Um, and, and, and look, I don't know the science well enough. I've not interacted with Lambda myself, but the, but the impression I have is that it's, it's, it's just, it's doing too good a job of imitating the way a human might be expected to respond. Again, when they feel that they're threatened, when they feel like there's something that poses a, a mortal threat to them. So Google's response so far, they say hundreds of researchers and engineers have conversed with this AI. They're not aware of anyone else making the wide-ranging assertions that Blake has. However, Google has had pushback from inside um, you know, its own research ranks in the past. I'm thinking of Tibnit Gebru and Meg Mitchell and the controversy yes. surrounding both of their departures. Are there any parallels here to Blake Lamont? Well, Google has to be careful, right? Um, they have very had very public falling out with past researchers in ethical AI division. This is the division within Google's AI uh, organization that is tasked with asking hard questions, holding it accountable, making sure that it that it operates in an ethical manner, asking questions about are we rooting out sexism? Are we able to um, combat racism? We don't want to, you know, you'll, re- you'll remember a couple of years ago, Microsoft had a, had a chat bot that people taught how to, you know, that very quickly devolved into racist, sexist speech. They want to avoid that. And so you do have people in this organization who are raising good questions about whether it is ethical. Lots of questions. We could debate this for hours. Uh, Bloomberg's executive editor, Tom Giles, thank you. PlayStation is out with a new subscription service, PlayStation Plus, giving members access to a catalog of several hundred games, both new and old. This is Sony's attempt to compete with Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass as both publishers jockey to become the Netflix of video games. Bloomberg's Jason Schreier joins us now to discuss. So, Jason, who's got a better chance of being the Netflix? Uh, it's a good question. Fortunately, neither of them are releasing sentient AI bots, but uh, yeah, they are getting into getting into the streaming wars. I think Microsoft has one big advantage is that Microsoft is actually putting out all of their big titles on day one on the service. So they're essentially saying, hey, we don't care about the sales numbers for the next Halo. We just want it as part of our subscription plan, as opposed to Sony, which is saying when we release our big games, they are big blockbusters and we want to sell tens of millions of copies of them. 
them before we put them out on streaming services. So Sony is almost like the kind of traditional TV studio Marvel approach where maybe they'll release it on streaming after it comes to theaters, whereas, whereas Microsoft is actually going full Netflix and saying, hey, we are, we are all in on this streaming service. We are putting everything on there day one, no matter what. Interesting. Well, there's a lot of transition happening in the gaming industry right now. We're, of course, waiting for that big deal between Microsoft and Activision to close, for example. You've also got a new story out about how game developers, game studios are, are working to create better cultures for uh, the engineers, which, as, as you have well documented, a workplace culture in the game, video gaming industry, not always the best. Specifically, they're focusing on pay transparency. How so? Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, I've been talking to a bunch of small, small-scale game studios, generally around 15 to 30 to 50 people, um, and a lot of them have found a lot of success by putting up these spreadsheets in their internal wikis, internal databases, saying exactly how much everybody makes, how many years they've been there, how many years they've worked in the industry, what their titles are, and full-on, like their full salary, full compensation packages. And, and it kind of seems like to our culture, which is so used to like thinking of salaries as taboo, it seems like a strange thing. Thing for everyone to know each other's salaries, but it's proven to A, help them with recruitment, B, make everybody feel like they work for a more equitable workplace where um, everybody knows what the stakes are, what everybody's getting paid. You don't have to worry like, oh man, did I come to the table and undersell myself in negotiations when I was accepting this job and like, like accept an offer that was $50,000 less than I could have been making. Nobody has to think like that. And it just makes for such a more fair workplace, especially for people who are traditional traditionally um, underprivileged and, and kind of hit that glass ceiling or are facing or don't have the same advantages as others right. do when negotiating salaries. Well, here's hoping that actually works. Uh, definitely check out Jason Schreier's story, Bloomberg.com. Jason, thank you. This week is fraught with peril. Inflation is really the Achilles heel of risk markets. Markets are reacting the way they are because they believe the Fed is going to be forced to get more aggressive than they had expected. I certainly don't think that a 75 basis point hike is out of the question. Even though there might be an initial sell-off on 100 basis points, I think there'd be a subsequent rally because the Fed is finally getting hold of the narrative, which it certainly has lost over the last year. This is a time to be selective, but I wouldn't sit on my hands. There are opportunities in areas where one can position. Pockets of stocks that have been proven. Europe looks good to us. China looks good to us. Uh, the credit space in the U.S. looks good to us. Equities in general, specifically in the U.S., I'm still pretty cautious here. It doesn't have to be all about the U.S. Because I still think we've got some wood to chop uh, with respect to the macro and policy outlook. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. U.S. stocks tumbling toward a bear market as the fallout from a hot inflation reading continued to rattle global trade and... Highly valued tech shares bore the brunt, the NASDAQ slumping. I want to dig into this all with my next guests, Are Ajao, managing partner at Base 10 Partners. Are, great to have you back with us. What's your take on what's happening here and how this is going to impact your world VC and growing startups? Thank you for having me here, Emily. Uh, this is an important moment, and this is a moment that feels that it has been 12 years in the making. Um, and where, you know, we come out of it is thinking that uh, over the past decade, the biggest mistake in technology as an investor was not investing in everything because everything was looking good. 
everything was making money and like software was and is eating the world. Uh, but now we are going into a world where we are going to have to be more discerning. And our view is that there is going to be an extreme flight to quality where the top 10% of solar companies will continue to attract records amount of funding, whereas the rest are going to have to take a good look and think, are we truly building something that is going to be transformative uh, or not? So when you look at this historically, is this RIP good times, as Sequoia has said about downturns in the past? Is this like 2008? Is it more like the dot-com bust? Uh, we think it's something, um, but we think it's real. Like we, we really think starting uh, 2022 uh, is going to feel very different than the last decade. Um, look, we are long-term investors. And you know we're investing in companies today, not thinking about whether they're going to be a good return in a one-year time horizon, but on a term-year time horizon. So when the question is, do we believe that 10 years from now we'll have more software, more technology, and sectors like education, real estate, or recruiting will be transformed by that software, we believe the answer is yes. So we believe that it is a good time to deploy in those kind of companies. Um, but we think that things like unit economics and sustainable growth are going to have an effect on valuations. And we are broadly going to see a reset on valuations in private markets and in venture capital. Now, I've really enjoyed following the story of Base 10. You're now the first black-led venture capital firm to cross more than a billion dollars in assets under management. You specifically raised $250 million last year to bridge the gap between venture capital and higher learning, create more opportunities for diverse founders. How much progress have you made in the last year? Um, it has been a transformative year for us. Um, so as, as you point out, you, you had us here a year ago um, and we launched with a promise, right? We, we launched with the promise that by virtue of donating 50% of our profit to create scholarships for underrepresented students, we will be able to partner with the best companies in the world because they will see it as something differentiated. Um, now, a year after, with 300 million deployed in over 23 companies, um, that promise has become a reality. And we are now partners with companies like Nubank, Plaid, Brex, FTX, Notion, Figma, Handshake, Motive, that truly are the very best companies uh, in their respective sectors and that have chosen to partner with us because they want to make sure that their success benefits the communities that need it the most, uh, which in our view are those communities that are, are underrepresented in tech. So what improvements are you seeing in terms of representation across technology? Obviously, it's not going to happen in a year. Uh, it might not even happen in 10 years. But do you see things that make you hopeful? Do you see things that make you skeptical that the change that you're hoping for is actually going to happen? Um, we, we're quite hopeful. So, you know, to, to give a little bit of, of perspective, I've now lived in Silicon Valley for 14 years, and this has only truly been part of the conversation for the last three, four years. Um, and I, I'm happy to say that we are actually surprised by how seriously companies are taking this. Um, you know, when they take our money, um, it's not a one and done 
uh, thank you for the investment, and we'll talk next when you create your scholarships. Um, they want us really involved. Like companies are inviting us to their all hands meetings, and they're telling their employees, look, we decided to take money from this fund because we want to diversify our cap table. It is important to us and to our mission that our success is the success of everyone, uh, is the success of the 99%. Um, and we are constantly engaged with people in their HR departments to help with recruiting in underrepresented communities, with their communications department to make sure that they are talking about their mission in a way that is well received by different communities. Um, and that just did not happen two or three years ago. I think every company is realizing that we are moving into a world that in order to do great, you're going to have to do good. Uh, and companies are going to have to be aligned with their mission, with their communities, uh, track their progress towards those goals, and report their progress towards those goals because there is more transparency. So that makes me hopeful. You've got a lot of cash to deploy. Given current market conditions, what trends are you betting on for the next decade? Our overarching theme is automation for the real economy uh, or problems housing 49%. Things like real estate, logistics, food, retail, financial services and financial inclusion. Uh, those are the things where we sit today and we are like, wow, 10 years from now, there is going to be just so much more software in things like making the supply chain more efficient or making sure that financial inclusion is more widespread. Uh, so those are the sectors where we're focused on. Um, and one of the things we're seeing is that more and more founders from underrepresented backgrounds are tackling those sectors because they felt those problems firsthand. All right, Arayemi Ajao of Base 10, thank you so much for joining us. Um, appreciate you stopping by. Meantime, Apple CEO Tim Cook is urging U.S. lawmakers to move forward with a federal privacy law. Cook pledged support for the legislation in a letter to senators Friday, a day after appearing on Capitol Hill and meeting with legislators. He described these protections as a, quote, fundamental human right. Lawmakers released draft privacy legislation earlier this month, marking the first major sign of progress after a long-standing lull in negotiations. Coming up. Another crypto meltdown. Why Celsius is bringing crypto stocks down with it. All the details next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It is time now for our crypto report. And a month after the implosion of the Terra stablecoin, another crisis is causing fresh trouble across the crypto universe. Celsius Network, one of the biggest lenders in crypto and a key player in the world of DeFi, said late Sunday it is pausing withdrawals, swaps, and transfers. This after weeks of speculation over its ability to make good on its outsized returns. Our crypto contributor, Shanali Basik, is here with more on this. So, Shanali, did Celsius bring the crypto markets down with it or vice versa? It's a very good question because you did see a lot of the uh, drop in the crypto markets happen between Sunday and Monday. Sunday night is when you saw Celsius make this announcement that they would be pausing withdrawals. There was a lot of concern in weeks up to this point, Emily, that something like this could happen. Worries about Celsius being able to make do on yields of as much as 17% when it comes to these lending products. And the question now is, is there a broader contagion? We saw the Luna meltdown, and now we're seeing a different product also hitting turmoil. And what does that mean moving forward? You see Bitcoin itself, Emily, drop about 15% in that time frame between Sunday into Monday, and 26% over a seven-day period. So even though you saw a steady drop-off in Bitcoin over a seven-day period, the bulk of it really did become between yesterday and today. So how did this impact the broader global crypto markets? It's a great question because if you look at all of the top coins, you are seeing a lot of selling there. And is that just deleveraging liquidations among individual investors? Or is it on top of that just worry about the space at large, given you're seeing another project hit so much turmoil? The question now is you have Bitcoin coming down below 23 thousand dollars. You have Ethereum also dropping to 1223. So is there going to be much more pressure ahead as more investors digest what to make of the Celsius withdrawal issue here? Uh, we do tomorrow in our crypto show at one o'clock every Tuesday. Tomorrow we do have Mike Alfred of Eagle Brook who has been warning about the Celsius issue for weeks now. So the question is should people have seen this coming and is there more trouble ahead? All right, Shanali, hang on. I want to dig into this deeper with our next guest, Kinjal Shaw, partner at Blockchain Capital. Kinjal, thank you so much for joining us. So how alarming to you is this Celsius situation? Thanks for having me today. 
you know, I think the Celsius situation is a particularly extreme example where, you know, a confluence of factors have led to this moment. There's certainly been a number of folks in the market saying for, for weeks now that this could be a possibility, particularly given the use of client funds that, you know, Celsius has been suspected to be using in various DeFi protocols. And so, you know, while this is particularly worrisome, you know, I think this is also not entirely unexpected and, and certainly is a, um, you know, a, a risk that a lot of folks in the market were, were thinking about. Okay, but there's something big rattling the market. I mean, getting down to, you know, $23,000 for Bitcoin, a new 18-month low, do you see the, you know, is, is the bottom further out or, or have we hit it? Yeah, I mean, it's always tough to to call the bottom. I think, and from my perspective, we are certainly nearing the bottom. Um, it's difficult to say what exactly is causing all of this, whether it's Celsius or whether it's just the lar larger macro conditions that are really causing a lot of um, a lot of sell-off over the past few weeks. And you know, I think this is a, a very risky asset class to begin with. And then when you pair that with what's, what's been happening globally, it certainly becomes challenging for, for new investors. You know, you look at Celsius and the relationship to staked Ether, for example, and then the decoupling of staked Ether from Ether itself. Kinjal, if you're looking at kind of maybe the larger ramifications here, whether there's any contagion in the system, given so many of these firms are interconnected, to what extent do you expect some contagion or more contagion? Yeah, you know, I, I certainly think this is unfolding live, you know, as we speak. Uh, the, the STE particular uh, situation, I think, will continue to unfold over the coming weeks and, you know, likely will have some impact on DeFi protocols largely as many pools um, of liquidity are holding STE. So we will likely continue to see a little bit more of an impact here. And as far as impacts go, too, you know, is this going to take some steam out of the DeFi space more largely, especially because after some of these uh, implosions, after some of the ways that retail investors are impacted by this, it could draw some more regulatory attention? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the, the regulatory concerns have been looming. You know, I think DeFi has been sort of in the eyes of regulators for some time now. Certainly this might speed things up. However, long term, I think DeFi is really trying to spur financial innovation and a lot of our regulators are um, aware of this and, and really responding um, in a way that hopefully we can continue to spur this, this innovation. Kindle, we're just getting some headlines across the terminal that this inflation data that we got today, this very hot reading is likely to push the Fed to consider a 75 basis point hike later this week. Either way, inflation isn't going away anytime soon. Are you evolving your strategy at blockchain capital at all? And if so, how, given a rapid what seems to be devolution of market conditions? Yeah, I mean, at Blockchain Capital, we are still, you know, very much focused on the long-term um, thesis around digital assets and blockchain technology. And so we continue to sort of be um, pushing along with that thesis and advising our founders to, to ensure that they're prepared for the market ahead. Certainly, the macro conditions are unprecedented. Crypto has not really existed with this sort of macro backdrop and so we are um you know moving forward with uh a little bit of wary but we are certainly excited about the future ahead and, and continuing to think about the long term do you think that in the new macro environment bitcoin then changes its meaning relative to, to how we're seeing central banks really play out across the world and uh inflation you know still remain hot but 
Bitcoin going lower? Yeah, you know, I think as Bitcoin has increasingly become a more and more popular name among financial markets more broadly, the asset has certainly seen an influx of investors that are um, more diverse, I would say, than historically. So I think we'll continue to see some, um, a little bit of uh, interplay between tech and, you know, more broadly and Bitcoin. However, I still think the inflation and store value thesis has yet to, to fully play out here. All right, Kendall Shaw, partner at Blockchain Capital. Lots to continue to digest along with our own Shanali Basik. Thank you both. Well, Elon Musk is warning of a rough economic road ahead for Tesla. In an email sent over the weekend, Musk essentially issued a rallying cry to employees to bounce back. For more, I'm joined by our Ed Ludlow, who reported this story for us. So, Ed, you know, first of all, we got a big internal memo from right. Elon Musk last week. For, not, it's, it's, it's internal, not to it's us. It's the latest right? one. <laughs> it's the yeah. latest one. Now we have another memo from Elon Musk. What did he have to say? This is classic end-of-the-quarter stuff. So, you know, we're in the beginning of June. Tesla's quarter ends at the end of this month. And... The idea is that he's pushing the staff. You know, it's a rallying cry. He pointed out that this was the quarter, remember, three weeks of shutdown in Shanghai, beginning of April. They had to go to extraordinary measures to keep that plant going. They rebounded in May, really good numbers for May out of China. And he was saying, this is the final push. And there was a second email a day later where he said, realize what you guys are doing means something. It's mm -hmm. impactful. Go for it. And I don't care what Wall Street thinks. So he's sending a lot of emails and tweets, yes. that's for sure. Yeah. How does this tie into the, I have a super bad feeling about the economy, you know, remote work is essentially over? It's interesting because it's kind of stark contrast to the last set of emails where he said, according to sources as well, that he would lay off 10% of salaried workers because he had a super bad feeling about the economy. He did clarify that those that are actually building stuff, the cars, the battery packs, but that's not the target of layoffs. And, you know, it was only in October of last year, October, November, where Tesla was talking about being over 100,000 employees globally and this being a real point of pride. But the world's a very different place this mm -hmm. week. All right. And different indeed. We just had these headlines right. cross about the Fed potentially considering yes. 75 basis point rate hike on the back of this, you know, bad inflation yeah. data. What do we know? So think back to the last Fed meeting and Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chair, said that 50 basis point hikes for June and July was what they were thinking about. 75 basis point hikes weren't on the table. We got the inflation data Friday, where inflation mm. came in 1% growth in inflation month on month, hotter than expected, 8.6% year on year. And the market just changed psychology. Mm -hmm. You know, that the, there is no way the Fed can deal with this with its current stance. So the market's pricing in 75 basis point hike this week. You know, there was a Wall Street Journal report that kind of first put that out there. Now you have a series of banks like JP Morgan coming in saying, yep, we, we can see 75 basis points this week. Even going as far as, say, 100 basis points could be a possibility this week. So our outlook is harder, faster, more aggressive hikes. So if you're a tech investor, you worry about that. So what do you do if you're a tech investor? Mark Mahaney earlier said there's really nowhere to hide. Nowhere. When nowhere you look at the hide. biggest points movers on the NASDAQ 100 on Monday, it's the likes of Apple, the likes of NVIDIA. You know, when we talk about higher rates, we talk about higher rates discounting 
the present value of future profits, but it's usually kind of pre-revenue stretch valuation companies that applies to. Even some of the creme de la creme of names like Apple, Apple. are feeling the pain. Mm -hmm. um, there is nowhere to hide. And the other side of this is recession fear, right? The Fed, can it tackle inflation without causing a recession? There's skepticism from the market that they can. Recessions aren't good for anyone. He did say Amazon long-term still a good play and Meta long-term better than Google. That's what he said. Right. Kathy Wood says, <laughs> despite being seven, down 75% year-to-date on ARK Innovation, that in the long run, all those innovation names will be winners. So. All right. Well, uh, time will tell. Ed Ludlow, thank you sure. for that update. All right. To the box office, Top Gun Maverick has finally lost its crown. Jurassic World Dominion, the sixth film in the franchise about dinosaurs that escaped from an amusement park, fought off weak reviews to lead the North American box office toppling Top Gun. Jurassic World made $143 million in its domestic weekend opening, according to Comscore, and more than $380 million worldwide. And that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. We're going to continue to watch this market meltdown across all of our Bloomberg platforms. We are back tomorrow with a number of big guests, including Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins and Rent the Runways' Jen Hyman. We'll have to ask them both about the market meltdown, what it means for consumers and enterprises. And, of course, don't forget to check out our podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast for all our news on the day. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all. All of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.